Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. We come to you this morning. We are thankful to be in your, your sanctuary, in your house, Lord, where we could worship you. Thankful to be back with our brothers and sisters. Thankful to be together in your house. Lord, I'm reminded how you have continued to be faithful in our lives. Lord, we, we praise your name that Mark and Julie can have a week away and everything works just as good, that you have raised up people uh, and you have continued to allow people with gifts uh, to be involved. And Lord, I praise your name that on Thursday night I listened for an hour as, as they practiced together putting the pieces together that they might worship you powerfully this morning. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the new people, and I'm thankful, Lord, for the, the people who have been involved for such a time. And Lord, may we not forget the gifts that you have given us to continue to be involved in ministry in so many different ways. We just assume so many times that things will just continue to be the way they are, and yet we watch you unravel and unwrap and change things in, in and around our lives. And Lord, may we be those vessels that are willing to uh, be used, to be changed. Lord, as we look at a, a passage that uh, may feel a bit hard, a bit harsh, a bit challenging in our own lives, may, Lord, we be the people who have open hearts. Lord, there's a very distinct difference in this scripture. There were some who heard and repented and changed. There were some who kept doing what they were going to do. And so, Lord, I ask even now, before we read the scripture, before we talk about it, before we share it all, that you would open our hearts. Lord, I, play, I pray that even now you'd place upon our hearts those areas, that one area that we need to change, that next step to be sanctified. Maybe it's our attitude. Maybe it's our tongue. Maybe it's the way we treat others, whatever it may be. Whatever it is, Lord, place that in front of our minds. Maybe we need to rest, and we're not good at it. May we not be those people who say, this is the way God's created me. May we be those people, Lord, who say, I have made a poor choice and need to change. Draw that into our lives today. Lord, you do not want us to be the same that we were last week or last year or 10 years before. You have called us to be consistently and constantly Refreshed and renewed and changing. Being sanctified. Scripture says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means we take it serious. Taking our faith serious means we change those things that need to be changed. As hard as they may be to hear. Open our hearts this morning for that message. Open us, Lord, 
that we might be new and fresh. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Scripture, and uh, we're going to go into chapter 9. Just so you know, if you're, uh, if you're following along, I hope you had a chance to read chapter 9 this week. If you didn't, uh, that's okay. I'm going to encourage you to read chapter 10 for next week of Ezra. That will be uh, the last. We will finish up Ezra uh, this next week, but you can, it's still not too soon. Then we have uh, an opportunity. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming. I want to make mention of uh, the mission board so nicely. or I think it was the mission board. I could be wrong on that. I know. Either way, just outside this door, there's a, a bulletin board that says, I'm thankful for. And there's a whole bunch of leaves. There's a, there's a uh, Sharpie and some leaves and a, and a staple gun. Sorry, a stapler. And I want you to begin to think about what you're thankful for. Write it on a leaf and staple it to that wall. My goal, my, I, I encourage you to fill that, that board up and run out of leaves because then I'll just ask whoever did it to put more leaves out there. But we have some time to be thankful in 2020. I've heard so many things as, uh, in the last even month or two. is like, if we could just forget about 2020, but I don't think we want to forget about 2020. Because there's a lot of things that we can be thankful for that God has blessed us uh, in our lives. I had a chance to talk to uh, Brian and Lynette Smith. That's our missionaries that are headed to the Dominican Republic in two weeks. Uh, I had lunch with them on Friday and we shared a whole bunch of the ways that God has been working this year. Don't, don't minimize 2020 as a wasted year. It's not a wasted year. God is still working and preparing and moving. And Brian said, you know, I don't know if this downtime, uh, it didn't feel good all the time, but it allowed me to heal and feel better and to prepare mentally for a new mission, a new plan to the Dominican. So, we were able to share where we could be thankful in this time. And so we're going to be headed that way. We're headed towards Thanksgiving. And I don't want it to be just Thanksgiving turkey on Thanksgiving Day. I want it to be a time, a, a season, to be thankful for what God has blessed us. Let's look at chapter 9 this morning. It says, After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. The leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak. I pulled the hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered together around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and my cloak torn and fell on my knees with the hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift my face to you because our sins are higher than the heads, our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. 
From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, and we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings, as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives us light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown kindness in his sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. But now, but now our God, what can we say after this? For we have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, when you said, the land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to the sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time. That you, may, that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt, and yet, our God, you have punished us less than our sins deserved, and you have given us a remnant like this. Shall we then break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy, leaving us no remnant or survivor. Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because it is not one of us can stand in your presence. May God add his blessing as we continue this morning. Kind of like that sound. Well, it's pretty wild that we've been nine weeks. Actually, this is week 10 of Ezra. Uh, when we started this, I, I, my one concern was, boy, that's a long time in one spot. But it doesn't, I don't know about your, on your end, but on my end, it doesn't feel that way. I feel, I feel like kind of recharged and kind of enjoying this story and what's going on with God's people in this chunk of time and watching this man Ezra and Zerubbabel and just God's people begin to put the pieces back together. And you may remember that the first six chapters were about building the temple. And then these chapters that we've done here the last couple of weeks and, the, and next week is about rebuilding God's people. It's a whole lot more personal to rebuild God's people than God's temple, in my mind. Because it gets real uh, dicey real quick. Well, before we begin, I do have a question to ask you, um, and I haven't asked it in a couple weeks, but I don't want to miss this. And it, so what have you as a congregation heard from Ezra 9 this week? What did you hear? If you read it, this is your time to shine. Tell, us what you, tell, tell me what you heard, even if it's one. There's a few pieces I'm not even going to touch in this sermon today, but I think they're important. They just didn't, uh, they didn't fit. But there's some really cool ideas and some really interesting things in Ezra 9. So I'm curious what you heard. 
And if you didn't hear anything, boy, it's going to get quiet here in about when I stop talking. What'd you hear? Choices. Choices, okay. Lots of choices. Anything else? I know more than one person read it. I, I can almost guarantee you that. What else did you hear? Amen. We're going to talk a little bit about that part. I like that part. You do, Sarah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. It said, Ezra says, thank you, Lord, for not destroying us, is what he actually says. You had every right to take us all the way out. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be the remnant. And if you didn't hear that, that's a really cool word. We won't even talk much about it today. But, but there's this idea of the remnant that comes, that winds its way through Scripture. This small little piece of God's people that are left in the midst of all the other stuff, the mess around. I encourage you to do a word study on the word remnant. Uh, it's in this passage, this chapter, a couple times. Anything else? Yes, it was. That's where it began, right? Lead by example. I couldn't help but think about that very, that very uh, part. Uh, the leaders were where it was beginning. So that takes us real quick to the question of who told Ezra uh, that what was going on. There's some commentators, and I, I have a sense of understanding, of thinking this, that it was very much could have been a secular group of priests. Priests, we're not sure who those priests were, but if the leaders were doing the wrong thing, they sure as heck weren't going to tell on themselves. Uh, so that's an interesting piece of this uh, that I hadn't thought much about. Commentators had brought that up. Yeah, they, the, the leaders weren't doing the right thing, and how can you expect your people to do the right thing if you refuse to do the right thing? What else? Anything else? Yeah, when's the last time you pulled your hair out, you ripped your clothes up, and you pulled the, uh, the hair of your beard uh, because you recognize that your people or someone or you have sinned? They did, right? There was, there was a very distinct line there, right? Some pe- I, I don't believe that all the people got around them. There was a chunk of people who were like, yeah, this is serious stuff. It got pretty quiet when we talked about uh, uh, when the last time we all tore our clothes over sin, uh, ripped our hair out. Uh, yeah, Ezra took the situation pretty seriously. Anything else? Absolutely. Yeah. We're real good at rationalizing. We're going to talk about that because we're real good at rationalizing ideas that we think, well, it's just a part of society. And let's be honest. If you step into this passage, what, what Ezra is asking God's people to do is to destroy these families. Now, a part of that should bother you a little bit. It bothered me a little bit at first, right? We're saying, listen, these are women... Um, from other, or, or women and men, it was, I, not just women, but you married into other, uh, other groups of people who were, just so you know, they were idol worshipers. That was the problem, right? They were idol worshipers, and they were mixing their religion. And God said right from the beginning, don't do this. God's people need to be kept pure, because you know what? God understood how we are. We're terrible at staying uh, the way we're supposed to be. 
We're not real good at being pure, and we have really short memories. But from the outside, it says, Ezra's like, and we'll read some more about it next week. Ezra's like, we need to separate these people from their wives. We're going to break up these families, put these women or these men, put these people away, put these families away that are not Israelites. And for me, at the surface, that's a bit hard to accept because I'm a family guy. I think families are important. But we have to not forget about what happened before this. They were told for a very distinct reason not to do what they were going to do. It doesn't doesn't take long for us to get there, does it? I'm sure when those people were there, these were the exiles, probably the exiles that had come back earlier with Zerubbabel. That's probably the people who had already been there. And once they got back, they went to the old social club. They went to play horseshoes or went, I don't know where they went. They went to the old watering hole and they picked up spouses, right? They, they went and they, they met these people and they began to mix. And boy, when Ezra comes back, you know, he'd already had this hard, this journey, right? Which he took all the people and all the money. And that went really well and smooth. And he's excited about that in chapter 8. He's like, we made it. Everything made it. We made all the, all the finances and all the funds we had. We got there. Everything was good. And we sat and worshiped God. And then what's the next sentence? And then they told me what was going on. That's probably why he did what he did. He was so uh, shaken by the reality that he had gone, things were good. We finally got to our homeland. We brought the people we had. We brought all the Levites that we needed to run the temple. And he says we had a wall built. That's the Nehemiah. If you want to read some more about this, Nehemiah is the next book, and it, it talks about how the wall is built. Uh, and the wall was built around to protect them. Uh, and he's like, we have the temple, we have the wall, and now we have a mess. Things weren't looking too good in Mayberry. At least not as good as they, uh, Ezra thought as he walked in. God's people had again strayed. I know that surprises you, right? Because none of us have strayed. I just want to put that out there. I'm really good at pointing my finger at the Israelites. <laughs> what is wrong with these guys? What is wrong with these people? What are they doing? Don't they get it? And yet, I don't get it, right? Well, I know it's not spring. But there's one thing about spring cleaning. I don't like spring cleaning. I just want to put that out. I, I, yuck. You know why I don't like spring cleaning? It's like cleaning on steroids, right? There are some people who are gifted at cleaning. They do spring cleaning all the time. I, me, I just want to take the broom, take the biggest mess, and boom, sweep it out the door, and I'm good. Spring cleaning is a little different, is it not? It's a little bit deeper. It takes a little more. It takes, see all the stuff on there? It takes all, it's like Clorox, and ugh, all that bad stuff. Got rubber gloves. There's a reason you need rubber gloves, because it's going to be bad. It's going to hurt. It's going to take a little more elbow grease, as my, my mom and dad used to tell me. Put a little elbow grease in that. I don't know where elbow grease is, but it must be, you know. That's what happens when you work your elbow Oh, you get more grease in there? Does it have a fitting or something? No. <laughs> no, you have to use the same 
Ah. That's what's happening in this passage. Um, I thought spring cleaning makes it sound a little bit more nice than what was really going on in this passage. If you read this passage, it's harsh. It's pretty rough. It's not an easy ride. But it is spring cleaning. Because what Ezra's saying is, listen, there's sin in this group of people. And we need to do something about it. We're going to need to make some changes. We have a temple. We have the people. Now we need to work on fixing the situations and the issues that we have. Yeah, and uh, when uh, Ezra says, I tore my tunic and cloak. I'm pretty sure they didn't have like, uh, I won't say it. (laughs) My wife has three closets, so. I'm pretty sure they didn't have three closets of tunics and cloaks, so uh, ripping their clothes was not something that, oh, these are old. I just rip them and throw them away. Probably wasn't how it worked. I'm thinking it was quite the opposite, right? Sometimes they would throw dust and ashes on their head. That's not in this passage, but that happened. They would, they would, there was this real show of understanding that there was sin involved. They recognized that they had sin in their lives. Ezra first recognized that this was a big mess and that he was going to have to deal with all the things that were going on in these people. He brought them all together and he's like, this is a mess. Have you ever walked into a situation that you thought was one thing and not much longer after that, it's something totally different and a whole lot harder than and you feel like you got blindsided. Like you walked into to what was going to be a five-minute job and it ends up being a five-hour job. That's why I don't like to do plumbing, right? Because I, I know if I cut one line, I might be a week trying to figure out I'm not a good plumber. That's what Kenny's for. <laughs> I use Kenny. But that's what's happening here. Ezra walks into this mess of this, of this inner marriage all interdispersed in God's people. See, they had forgotten. They had forgotten what God had called them to. They had forgotten the situation that they were not to intermarry. They were not to find spouses outside of their group. Why? Because it would be impure. And there were some leaders before them. This is, uh, this is about Solomon. Uh, and I, it's out of 1 Kings 11. It says, they, were, they came from nations, uh, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. We see that happen in people's lives. And in this mess, these people's lives had been in between the faith of the God of Israel and idol worship. And they began, what they would do is what we do. We blend, do we not? We blend uh, our faiths. We blend our relationships. We bend, one of the probably more important ones, we blend our family traditions. Right? When I, before I got married, I did this, 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 and this. Then when I got married, my wife had her list of this, 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 and this. And I had my list of this, 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 and this. Christmas Eve, we always got to open one present. That was what we did for her Christmas Eve. I don't know if they opened them all or they didn't open any, right? They didn't open any. So that was pretty hard. How do you tell your kids to open half a present? 
right? Only half of it, yeah, that's right. You can only open to the box and you can't see what's inside. You know what I'm talking about. When we marry into a, a situation or relate, so what we've had to do is we have every year two Easter's, two Thanksgivings, and at least two Christmases every year because it's so, I know some people who have to travel will have an Easter at one place, a Christmas at one place, a Thanksgiving. There's this blending of, uh, of traditions and mixing of things. And it begins a new tradition that we teach our kids or our family. And then we run in. So what happens is we begin to lose some of our old traditions. Uh, example, when I was a kid up until I was probably 25 or 30, we always had Christmas Eve with my grandparents. Always. Well, they passed. And that tradition was gone. It was just gone. We never we we always had oyster stew. If you're an oyster stew eater, you know what I'm talking about. If you're if you're not a fishy uh, oyster eater, then you wouldn't understand and how how good that really is. Uh, but we always had that tradition, and then we lost that tradition. So we no longer do the th- Christmas Eve that we used to do. And it's quick to we're quick to forget. We're quick to forget that we used to do that because we got a new tradition. Now I come to church on Christmas Eve. Just so you know, I was, that was before I, went, I was here. <laughs> and now I have a tradition here where we come every Christmas Eve. See, what happens is we begin to, uh, we kind of hone in on a, uh, something in our lives. And sometimes we aren't able to see that there's anything else out there. Tunnel vision, if you would. And I wonder how often that um, in our lives we aren't able to see the sin that holds us back. That, that we get in this tunnel vision idea that God has created me this way. I am who I am. I'm just, this is just me. I'm sorry I'm angry, it's just who I am. I'm sorry I don't want to spend time with your family, that's just who I am. God made me this way, now leave me alone. And here's what I will tell you that I've figured out. The older I have gotten... The worse that has gotten. I think I used to make fun of old people who had uh, set in their ways. And now I'm set in my ways. <laughs> I think it's a natural occurring thing. We get to the system we like and we have a tough time seeing anything outside of that. And so I'll ask you this question and I, I pray that God has already been placing things on your heart. What are those sins that you need to continue to uh, work on and to take out of your life? Because when we get in this tunnel vision, we begin to believe this is all I, this is just the way it's going to be. I want to give you a quick example. I had a chance, and I may have used it last week, I cannot remember. That's, that's another piece of getting older. I can't remember. So if you hear the same illustration as last week, well, that was because I forgot. I had a chance to go spend some time with a good friend. And I used to be a part of that church. And God pulled us away from that church uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And it was a two-year process. Just so you know, it was hard. Um, I'm, I'm thick-headed and bullheaded, and uh, I think I know better than God sometimes. And so God pulled us away from that church. But it wasn't easy. It was kicking and screaming and scratching and fighting and frustration and disillusionment. It was all of those things. And I just spent the last weekend with a buddy of mine who uh, w- was there. 
And I had this epiphany in the process of that weekend. Had I not left, had we not left there, we wouldn't have come here. I wouldn't have gone back to school. God wouldn't have called to ministry. And I could not hardly keep it together and thinking, my life is so much different because I finally, I finally, kicking and screaming, did what God was asking me to do for probably a long, lot longer than I realized. See, God isn't asking us to take that sin out of our life because he hates us. He isn't asking us to take that sin out of our lives because he thinks, well, guess what? I'm going to make it less fun for you. You know what? You can go, to, you can go through life and you can just uh, be boring and cold and not have fun and not enjoy life. He's not taking that sin out of our lives for that reason. He's taking that sin out of our lives because he loves us. He's like, I know this is hurting you. Now, it took me 15 years to recognize, to look back and say, holy smokes, God was preparing this plan 15 years ago. And guess what? I didn't see it. I don't think Amy saw it. I don't know. Maybe she did. I, she, I didn't ask her. You didn't see it? Good. I don't want to feel like the only dummy in the room. <laughs> God isn't asking you to take the sin out of your life because uh, he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you. And that's what he's doing here with Ezra, with Ezra and God's people. Take the sin out of your life because it's only going to make things worse. Don't forget. God still cares about us and still loves us. And he wants us to begin, to, or to continue, not to begin, but to continue continue our sanctification, to continue to grow close to him, to be closer and closer and closer. It's not a matter of, uh, someone said fire insurance. I don't remember who told me that last week. Love that idea, right? Salvation is not fire insurance. It's not get out of hell free insurance. It's living a new life of hope in the midst of a hopeless world. If you don't have any new theologies, new ideas, uh, new understandings, or new questions in your life, then you need to take a check and see if you're growing and moving. Are you moving? See, this is a, uh, this is a picture you could probably hardly, I don't know how you can. Uh, it's a spring cleaning checklist. There should be a checklist in your life. Am I growing? What, have I learned something new this week about God's Word? Has anything changed in my life? If I look back 10 years, do I look exactly the same? Am I doing things the same way? Am I responding to people the same way? Am I treating people the same way? We're called to be sanctified, to be changed, and to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The scriptures tell us that. It's hard. And sometimes it's slow. And sometimes we don't think we're moving fast enough and we get frustrated. But praise God, I continue to see people in our congregation who come and who are growing and moving and changing. I've said it, if only one person hears the sermon and that means something to them, then the rest of you just warm the pew for the day. So be it. 
I hope that's not the case. But I realize that God is continuing to work in and in amongst our group. He loves us. One of the things we need to do is change our attitude. Do you see how Ezra's attitude changed? He says, I'm too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift my face to you. When's the last time you put your face to the ground on your hands and knees and recognize the guilt? Now, some of us, we wouldn't be able to get back up. I understand. We can, <laughs> maybe we can build a pulley system, <laughs> right? <laughs> but honestly, when's the last time we took our sin so serious? that we recognize that we had disgraced ourselves in front of God. When will we change it? Like Glenn said, when is it going to continue to be socially acceptable to be mean to other people or treat them as less? Or, to be, to, or when are we going to say, listen, God's word says it this way and we're going to follow that. It brings me to a point. You all, we all, Yins, one of them, have people we trust and care about who are believers in Christ. If you don't, you should, right? You better find some. If you don't, let me know. If you have no Christian friends, let me know because I wanna, I'll find you some. Those are trusted people in your life. You know what? They can usually tell in our lives what's wrong or what needs to be changed or what needs to be adjusted. Are you open to hearing what they say? Because nobody wants to be told you're doing it the wrong way and surely no one wants to be told that way. And I'll be honest, I have had some times where people have come to me and said, this is the hardest thing I've ever said in my life to you, but you need to hear this you're going the wrong direction. You're doing this the wrong way. You're treating someone the wrong way and you need to adjust it. Proverbs remind us, wounds from a friend can be trusted. But the enemy multiplies kisses, which means those nice flowery comments that mean nothing because that person knows you zero. They may feel fluffy, light, and make me feel good. Roscoe's laughing because we talked about this Wednesday night, huh, Roscoe? Those are nice, fluffy things. I love it when people tell me I'm the best preacher ever. But I ain't always the best preacher ever. That's not my job. I'm not, I, I didn't realize in Scripture where it says the pastor must hit a home run every week. And I've had to come to terms with that, by the way. That's, that's been a challenging spot for me in my life because I want to come and bring the right thing, everything, every week. But I also realize this, that God is in control of those things. And his people with listening ears will hear the part they need to hear from him. Praise God, not from me. It's not about flowery words, I can say. It's about sharing the truth. And you all have those people. We have those people in our lives who can tell us the things we don't want to hear in a way that we can still love them and care over them and know that what they're saying is the truth. Here's the problem. Sometimes we blow them off. We ignore them. We refuse to hear that maybe we need to say it in a different way. Or maybe we need to say, I'm sorry, 
Oh, I hate that one, right? That's a bad one. I don't like that one either. Sometimes we've offended people, and we need to say we are sorry. Sometimes we need to, to apologize. Sometimes we just need to make things right that are wrong, <laughs> and we're not perfect. <laughs> Sometimes we need to bring it where we've been offended and then let the other person know. Not in a mean, harm, harmful way, but rather in a loving, caring way. I know I have said things that have offended people. But if they don't ever say that, I don't know that I sometimes offended them. Sometimes, and I will tell you this, with masks on, I was talking this morning, with masks on it's twice as hard because I can't tell if you're growling at me, you're smiling at me, you're sticking your tongue out at me. I can read your eyebrows and, you're, and that's about it, right? That's about all we can read. We, we get this much. So I don't know if Brentley's sticking his tongue out at me at second service or smiling at me. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, that's what I figured. Brentley and I have been talking about this because it's harder for us to read. One of the, jo- one of the things we do, honestly, constantly, and we don't even realize is that we're reading people, trying to understand, how, did I say something that offended you? Did I say something that was challenging? Did I say something that was funny? You know, and it's harder than ever to tell where people are. And more often than not, we misread things. The key is to have uh, empathy. The ability to understand and share the feelings of someone else. Walking a mile in someone else's shoes. Let me go back to this point, Kenny. This is for Kenny only. The rest of you guys can keep going. God made me this way. Ken, you can always change. <laughs> but let me, go, let me go back. Sorry, this is only for Ken. There it is, Ken. What if you don't have any empathy? You need to open your eyes and get some. I believe God, I believe, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that for my benefit or your benefit, and I'm not trying to pick on you, but I think the reality is this. We all can have empathy if we can step into other people's lives and other people's shoes and understand their pain and sorrow and their hurts and their victories. A new creation. And Ken, I'm not picking on you. It's a challenge. There's no, no I, doubt. I asked question. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, but it's exactly right. How do we? Empathy is a hard one, right? It's hard to step in someone else's shoes and understand where they're at and to understand their pain. And, to, and then here's what I notice in my life. When, I lo- when someone loses someone and, and someone passes away, they're, they're crushed. And it's not until I lose someone in my own personal life do I feel that same heaviness and pain, right? And then I begin to empathize because I'm like, Holy cow, that's why Kenny was feeling that way because there was huge loss, this hopelessness, this bad feeling, this whatever it is, right? And then we begin to have empathy and standing in those shoes. And I think, Ken, sometimes we don't walk through the shoe. We can't walk that trail that people have walked. And so I think we have to call on God to help us understand that pain because there are times when we just cannot and we have not. Walk through the hard things that others have. And yet, I believe that God can give us the empathy. I don't have time to show it, but uh, I will ask you to write down 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, talks a lot about, um, I have made myself a slave that I might win as many as possible. Um, and understanding that, 
We're going to do the things that, let me write that, tell you that again. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Don't have time to look at it today, but, um, but I think we have to listen. We have to be open to hear God. When he's whispering in our ear, we have to be able to hear him. And when he, we hear him, we have to adjust. Or stop the cycle of the sin. Ezra 9.14 says, shall we, again, shall we again break your commandments and intermarry with the peoples and commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? If Ezra's saying, if we don't make this change, God is going to destroy us all. God doesn't care that we build a temple and a nice pretty walls and we put all these pieces back together. If we don't change, Ezra's saying, listen, we need to make a change. There needs to be a change in direction in, the, in our lives. That's sometimes really hard and scary. Really hard and scary. Do you ever have a picture you don't remember why? I don't know why I put that up there. Each of us have sin in our lives. When we become a believer, it's not magic. It's not like we magically stop sinning. One of the things I think that happens is we begin to recognize that sin a whole lot easier. We have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and to, to, to poke at us, right? Uh, you need to make a change here. You need to change this. You're being short with people. You need to... You need to say this in a different way. You need to not have a machine gun on the front of your car. Remember that from last week, right? We had that problem Friday. I'm still working on that one. Reality is this. We all have sin that continues to plague us in different ways, different things. For some of us, it's really open and we can see it. For some of us, it's hidden within our hearts and our minds. Uh, and we need to adjust it. For some of us, we live life no differently than when we first accepted Christ. That means we need to make some changes. I put this picture up because I want to encourage you that as we finish up this morning, the altar is here for you. See, it's easy to talk about all these things. Sure as heck, not nearly as easy to lay him at the cross, to lay him at the altar and ask God for his strength to make that change. Some of us have been living in anger and frustration and fear, disillusionment, hate, envy, sorrow. Some of us have been living in pain and brokenness. My God can take care of all those. My God can take care of all those. He says, lay it at the foot of the cross. You don't have to, what you brought in for baggage does not have to go back out that door. You can leave the luggage right here. But the choice is yours. Let's pray. 
Lord, we're reminded that Jesus went to the cross for our sins, for our struggles, for our problems and pains. Lord God, we come to you this morning. We're reminded of that sin that has plagued us, whatever it may be. We don't want anybody to know about it. We don't want to tell a soul what eats at us, where our mind goes, where our thoughts go, and where our heart is. Oh, if they knew, they'd kick us out of the church. They'd hate us. They'd slander our name. And yet, Lord, we, we come here week after week with that burden on our back. We carry this big luggage of pain and baggage. We've been hurt. We've hurt others. We continue. All because we won't lay it at the altar and we won't give it to you and, and uh, name it. So that maybe some other confidant would pray with us. We're stuck with this stuff. And we can't figure out why our Christian faith and our Christian walk isn't all that great. Because we've been so loaded down with the world. And we choose, we choose not to give it to you. Because that's scary. It's scary to give up the things that we know for something we don't. And so, Lord, I call, you on, call out to you this morning in each person's life here today that they would hear your voice, your still, small voice, that reminds them that they are your child, Loved by you. And that that sin is getting in the way. Lord, for anyone who hasn't made a decision to follow you, I pray for them this morning that they would seek your face, that they would come, recognize that you are the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and that eternity rests in the balance. Lord, I pray they wouldn't leave without having that discussion with someone around them. Lord, we are your people. May we treat people like you treat us. In your name we pray. Amen.